the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5. Our emphasis is going to be on verse 8, but I like to read the preceding verses to give us a rhythm for our text. Amen? Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 1, you find these words. And seeing the multitude, Mm. he went up on a mountain, Mm. and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Mm. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, Mm. for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Amen. And in our series of lessons on Jesus, the mind, the making, and the ministry, today I want to talk with you a few moments from the thought, the Beatitudes, part six. The Beatitudes, part six. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being a holy God that had mercy and compassion on some unholy people. Lord, we thank you for not destroying us, but making a way out of no way, oh God. So, Master, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we discover the truths of your word, Master, today, Lord, I ask that you Cause us to look at ourselves, masters, and see what's on the inside that needs to be removed. Master, we want to be pure in heart, and we want to be right with you. Master, that our will lines up with your will, and our way lines up with your way. But Lord, we acknowledge that we cannot do it on our own. But Lord, we need your grace and your mercy if we're going to find our way. So Lord, as we begin to discover the truths of this passage, oh God, Lord, I'm asking that you keep us and implant your word deeply in our hearts. And Lord, we want to be so careful to give you all the praise and all the glory. These things we ask in the blessed name of Jesus and the whole church said, Amen. Amen. In the gospel, according to Matthew, chapter 5, in times past, as a review, we are dealing with the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount consists of chapters 5, 6, and 7. And we are dealing with the introduction to the Sermon which is called the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes sets the rhythm 
for his complete sermon, which is the Sermon on the Mount, but it tells us what the master is bringing. But even more poignantly, we must realize that Matthew was writing this gospel as Jesus as king. Jesus as king. So the Sermon on the Mount is the king's manifesto. It is the king's aim. It is the king's requirements. It is the objectives of the king. So the king comes in to the culture of the Jerusalem world and of the Israelites as a whole, and he says, I come to bring happiness. He came into a world that had all kinds of ideas about what happiness was. We discovered in times past that there were multiple religious sects among the groups, and that is sect. S-E-C-T-S. So in there we had the Essenes and we had the Sadducees and the Pharisees and we had the Zealots. The Pharisees wanted to bring about the new kingdom by tradition. The Sadducees by modernization. The Essenes by separation and the zealots by political and military activism. But the king comes about his kingdom a whole different way. For them, they must have been shocked when they heard the words of Jesus as it relates to how happiness would truly come. He let them know that I bring you happiness, but you must first come broken and bankrupt. You must come crawling to me saying that I have nothing with inside of me but I am a wretch undone. And then when you receive the things of God that you mourn over your sins that you don't sit up and laugh about them and kid about them and coarse jest about them but mourn over them. That you don't look at the sins of others and get a good tickle about it. But you mourn over them as well. Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. But unless you be born again, unless you be cleansed of your sins, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So the text went on to say, blessed are the meek. Because the king says, when you see the holiness of a holy God, you become meek. And the example of meekness was Abraham, when he was going into his inheritance with his nephew Lot, he allowed Lot to have his choice, even though Lot was just tagging along for the ride. But Abraham understood that because he was meek, that he should inherit the earth. And that it, no matter what Lot got, that in the end, it was all going to be Abraham's anyway. Wow. And so for the saints of God, we realize that we should try to hold so tightly to the things of this world. Because if we are meek and we're in the kingdom, we're going to get it all anyway. Wow. Wow. So we went on to see that blessed were those who hungered and thirst after righteousness. And when somebody is thirsty or hungry, they're not thirsty plus anything or hungry plus anything. 
They want food when you're hungry. You want water when you're thirsty. And when your spirit needs to be filled, you want righteousness. Then we went on to find out that we need to be merciful. Here's where the Beatitudes started to take a change. From what we did from the inside to what we started to do on the outside. Now since we have been brought into the kingdom of heaven, now since we've been blessed with all these things, we need to have mercy on somebody else. But that we didn't have to worry about how much mercy we gave anybody else because our mercy wasn't going to run out. Because when we give mercy, we would obtain it. And the whole idea is that we would obtain it from God. And God is an eternal God, and he never runs dry. So then we began to look at our text for today. Happy are the pure in hearts, for they shall see God. I would be kidding myself if I was to say that I could exhaust all of the truths that are found in verse 8. All right. But today we're just going to take a few moments to look at some aspects of a pure heart. Because it's so important that our hearts are pure if we're going to see God. You must have a pure heart. These words, pure heart, could also be translated holy. So when God says, be ye holy as I am holy, it's just not some rhetoric or some words to say But God is saying that he wants us to reach a certain level and that he has a way for us to do so. We say to ourselves that, well, we're sinners and we are under the human mandate and that we still sin, but we can be holy. We can be holy because Christ is holy. And that when we are in Christ, we are seen as holy. Because we are seen as righteous. Not a righteousness of our own, but the righteousness that are given to us through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. But this issue of pureness of heart, it is a serious issue because upon that everything else hinges. I am awestruck by the fact that within the Beatitudes, This particular statement is made where it is. Because it has such a great impact, I would someone wonder why did it didn't just start out with that? Or maybe end with a bang. But it's placed here strategically for those who begin to work the works of mercy. Because really and truly, it is our motives that determines what our heart is. Are we doing what we do with the right motive? Because we can have mercy on somebody, but are we doing it for the right reason? We must be pure in heart. Well, what does an impure heart look like? Well, we can 
give ourselves a small parameter room of a congregation. Within inside of any congregation, there are those who are there for all sorts of reasons. I would kid myself if everybody here at New Zion was here for the same reason. Because it just doesn't seem to line up with Scripture. Even when we look at the parables and we see the parable of the ten virgins, five were foolish and five were wise. There's a 50-50 chance that half the room is for one thing and the other half is for another. But I contend that there could be very varied reasons why we're here. In any congregation, there may be some who come because it's the right thing to do. Now, on the surface, that sounds real good. It's the right thing to do. But a right thing according to whose standard? Because you can get yourself caught up in what's culturally right and what's culturally wrong. Well, I come to church because my mother came to church and my grandmother came to church. And it is what they said was the right thing to do, so I come. I come, I sit, I listen, I go. But has you just come into the church, but never let the church inside of you? Jesus says, don't look here or look there for the church. But the church is inside of you. You can sit in the pews and you can say amen and you can nod to the word, but is the church inside of you? Have you asked the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, to come in and change you from the inside out? Have you confessed your sins and have you put your dependence upon him? Not a little bit of it, but all of it. An impure heart would say, Lord, I want you to come in this area of my life, but that's as far as I want you to go. I got it. I got the rest to myself. You know, I understand the way that family has worked down through the years in the church, so I'm going to work off of that, and I don't want to give myself completely to you. But that's an impure heart. Some come to church because church is filled with people, a congregation, and there's plenty of opportunity to do business deals. Can become a member of the church and smile and shake hands just to build relationships so that they can do business. But that's not the heart that Jesus is looking for. But then there are others They could be somewhat like the zealots who are amongst the crowd and they were there for political reasons. They were in to shake hands and to get to know folks just to influence them through political voting and going for their candidates and all of that kind of thing. But that's not a pure heart. The pure heart is the heart that gives itself wholly unto God that says I want to be used by you O Lord 
Lord, don't let me come to church because of my own desires. But let me come because of you. At the end of the day, it's all in Christ. And if we don't see God, then we don't have a pure heart. This text has an eschatological version to it as well. To the future of seeing God in all his glory. But also this text says that we should see God now. An impure heart will have a real tough time understanding scripture. Because in the scripture, we find the Lord. So if you can't understand the things of scripture, then it just may be that you have an impure heart. It's a good time to get right with the Lord because you got to see God. And if your heart's not pure, you're not going to be able to understand Scripture. So having this pure heart is a heart that has a will that's lined up with the will of God. In the seventh chapter of Romans, Paul said, My will is the will, the will of the Father, but I see in me another desire. I see another law within inside of me. But if you look on the inside and you don't see any conflict at all, then you just may not have a pure heart. David said it right when he said, create in me a clean heart that I might not sin against thee. What we must understand is that we don't have the power within ourselves to clean ourselves up. I don't know how many people I've talked to down through the years and said, why don't you come to church and learn of the Lord? Why don't you give your life to Christ? And they say, after a while, I got to get myself together. Maybe after I stop drinking so much or stop smoking so much or stop fornicating or whatever that they are doing, then they'll be ready for the Lord. But you'll never get yourself ready for the Lord. Because if you could, then the Father would not have had to send the Son to die for us. But the reality is, without Christ, we can do nothing. And that includes cleaning ourselves up. If you want to see God, you've got to let Christ in the inside. You've got to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins. And cleanse you and remake you and shape you and mold you into who he wants you to be. It ain't got nothing to do with what we can do. Because really we can't do nothing. But we want to have a pure heart. We want the Lord to come in and purge us with his. We want him to scrub those deep, decadent places of our lives. Wants him to get up in those cracks and crevices of sin. Back into those skeletal closets. And get all that muck and mire out of there. But we can't do it on our own. Sometimes we think if we just put it up. And not let the Lord back there. After a while we'll get it together. And then we can let him in the room. So many of us are fighting with different issues of life. 
and are having difficulty overcoming it because we won't let the Lord do it for us. It is in Christ, by Christ, and through Christ that we have our being. Just because we put it back in a closet does not mean that it's going to be okay. It doesn't mean that after a while we can clean it up and shape it up. But we got to let the Lord have it. And then he will do in us what we cannot do in ourselves. God wants to change us from the inside out. But you got to give your life to him. Jesus, the son of the living God. The fourth one in the furnace. Mary's baby, Joshua's battle axe in the time of war. That Jesus, whom the Father sent down through 40 and two generations, you got to let him into your heart. Jesus came and he lived and he loved us. He died and he saved us. Buried he carried my sin far away. But rising, he lost the battle and freed me forever. One day, he's coming back. One glorious day. Living, he loved me. Dying, he saved me. Give. Yeah. 